All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 224 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill, admin on the KISS FAQ message board. And today we've got a international panel of exquisite quality, a panel that you won't find on any other podcast. Daniel, Weez on the board, the voice of reason, 69th Blizzard, Ken, Hello. and from another snowy environment, Marcus Almighty Mark. All right, guys, good How to you see doing? you. Uh, let's just do a little bit of the news. Uh, first and foremost, this week's show is going to be airing while it's Paul Stanley's birthday, which is coming up on Sunday the 20th, obviously. So wishing the star child a very happy birthday on behalf of the KISS FAQ. I hope you don't read it. That's probably better that way, Paul. Um, also, we've got a new book out, Joey Casada's Start With a Dream. Joey is, of course, a drummer, has played with ZO2, uh, has toured with KISS, so there are KISS stories within that book, along with a lot of other stories about his life and drumming and whatnot, so I do want to just mention that to people, since there are KISS stories in it, and Joey's a really, really nice guy. He's much... yeah. Um, Other news, this one's about to hit the presses, and it is the 2019 edition of KISS on Tour. Lots more reviews and shit added and details and details and details. 752 pages of details added. Um, so I had to make it A4 size this year in paperback. It's about to hit the press. So if you missed out last year, this will be on Amazon uh, probably for a couple of months before I take it out of print. I want these to be just yearbooks uh, with everything that gets added during the year because it's a never-ending process. There is no way to ever finish a book where you're researching the history of KISS, particularly reviews and details. Mm. You have to freeze it at a point in time and go with it and then make it limited run. And before anyone bitches, let's just get the cover again. Yes, Gene's base is facing the wrong direction. It's <laughs> deliberate. It's an artistic decision to have some symmetry. It's symmetry. It's a caricature. It's a newspaper illustration by an artist who does work for a lot of the uh, British newspapers. And it's specifically requested to look good. Um, and I'd rather have it facing the other direction than pointing at Paul's head or obscuring Paul's pout. So it was a deliberate decision. And just live with it. Come on. I know Makes we have, sense. I know as KISS fans, we have OCD. I know we people are immediately going to zone in on that, just like I did with another author's book. Uh, the initial cover, the base had six pegs on it, and I was like, that's wrong. I, I've done it. I'm guilty <laughs> of it. And they changed it. So, uh, yeah. Jeez. yeah. So just cut, cut us some slack. It's artistic. All right. Um, other news. Eric Singer did his Facebook Q&A last night or yesterday afternoon, and I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, the questions were generally bullshit, but what do you expect? What was more interesting was they were in the musical rehearsal studio in L.A. breaking down, 
And Keith and Eric uh, at times went around talking to the various techs, uh, going through drum equipment, and Eric told the story of how his cur that current kit has been built, which I thought was really cool. He also mm -hmm. had some of those uh, snares that he'll be selling on tour. He was talking about the etching on them, telling you about what was different. Um, went through guitars. It was, you know, if the quality had been better, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. you want, it, it's Facebook Live. It, it is what it is, and their signal wasn't great where they were. But they were showing off Paul's guitars, and even in the heavily pixelated state that it was, it was... They look great, and they went through Tommy's. They went through some of Gene's stuff. So you know what? If they do more of that sort of thing throughout the tour, um, I would almost prefer that they film it first and then stream it up on YouTube afterwards so that it's better quality. But if they do it on Facebook Live like that, it was still very interesting, and it'd be great to hear from various techs about what they do, their jobs, just like you can see on some of the musical instrument company YouTubes where they go and talk to the techs on stage and talk about the rigs. They talk about the instruments they talk about the setups and what it takes to work with the guys i think it, it's a very promising thing if uh keith and crew uh do get on there you do get to see you know dean and fran and some of the other guys that some people will know from on tour so well done very good uh i'd like to see better questions but obviously you're just not gonna get the sorts of questions that people who do podcasts and hang out on message boards are really gonna want and you know, I thought Eric did great. He was talking about some really interesting stuff as well. So go listen to it. It's still up on Kiss's Facebook page. All right. Inhale. That was a long monologue. So next week, it all starts happening. Ace is on tour. He's doing four dates. I'll be there in Jackson. I'm bringing T-shirts. I'm bringing T-shirts and books mainly for the Gene Simmons Band boys since they're in the book now. Uh, but if you are there and you do want anything, you're coming to Jackson in California for the Ace Show, uh, let me know. PM me on Facebook, and I'm sure we can work something out to bring you something if that's what you're looking for. Vancouver, I will be there. There is a meet-and-greet. Well, it's not even a meet-and-greet. It's a meet-up um, at a place across the street from bc place just to have a quick beer if i have time because i am doing the meet and greet with kiss beforehand but i will be handing out pins uh the buttons that are exclusive exclusive to the show there so come across there's a facebook event on uh for that and there will be for the other shows that i'm attending to to get rid of all these fucking pins and buttons that i've had made uh they're free of course you're not being fucking charged i'm not kiss um that's it so let's do a show we're going to celebrate the beginning of the musical road it is the 45th birthday coming up and let's talk about the date that the first album was released because as everyone knows it it varies in the united <laughs> states by whom you ask the date that's generally been accepted as the release date of february the 18th is wrong that was on a fax that was sent, or telex that was sent way back when um, someone asked a record executive what date the Kiss albums had been released, and he just came up with a list and sent that out, and that was accepted. When you go back into copyright records or even into the trade magazines at the time, the cash boxes, the record worlds, February the 8th is what the detail is in Kiss's own trademark filings and copyright filings, February the 8th, February the 8th. The only thing that throws a bit of a question mark into that is a 
acetate or it's a test pressing data sheet that suggests and let me just look at my notes here so that I get it right because I don't want to get shot um, the cover sheet suggests January the 25th was originally intended as the release mm. date but with all the copyright shit that comes off later it looks like it was probably delayed that all makes sense so February the 8th mm-hmm. I think we can etch in stone as the release date of the first album let's start the first question that comes to you know to let you guys talk <laughs> Your first experience of Kiss. What do you recall about when you first heard it and where it falls into kind of your personal history? Ken, let's start with you as the voice of reason. Yes. Um, I think uh, when I started getting into Kiss in 77, I went back I started going through the back catalog. I think that's one of the first ones that I got. Um, one of the early ones. Uh, it was probably 78, 77, 78 that I bought that one. Um, and it, I thought it was, uh, uh interesting. Um, uh, this, this, you know, the production wise, it was the sound of it. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really good. Uh, obviously it's a lot of, a lot of good songs on that album. Um, I, I do remember having my stereo and cranking it up. Uh, because the bass sound in, especially like Cold Gin and Firehouse, I just loved to hear the booming bass. <laughs> I would I would crank it up and my my room would you know like vibrate. Um, I'm sure my mother liked that a lot. But uh, <laughs> it it was it, that was just one of the things I remember about it. I remember it being really good. Um, and then the of course the when it ended the Black Diamond stretch out thing was like. You know, the first time, the very first time you hear it, you think, shoot, did my record, you know, did my uh, turntable break down or something? <laughs> it's like, why is it slowing down? So, uh, yeah, it was, it's a great album. And it falls, actually, it falls, it, it, I was just kind of looking at my list of things. I think it falls around number three in my all time uh, favorite Kiss albums, for sure. Nice. And you, you heard it before any of us, so that, that's awesome. Daniel, what mm-hmm. about you? Um, I mean, you've, you've talked about your first you know, album that you ever heard was, I think, Animalize, and your first album that you bought was Asylum. So when did you, or when do you recall kind of hearing this as you started going back through the catalog as you became a fan? Well, I remember shortly after getting Animalize and Asylum, I quickly went ahead and tried to find other albums. And one of the first I came across was actually Kiss Killers, you know, that one that was released in Europe with some awesome new songs. And I remember listening to Cold Gen on that one. And I, th- I thought it was an interesting title, I remember. You have to uh, recall, <laughs> I wasn't very old. So I, th- I thought Cold Gen, I-, I thought... It was about gold, and that was just a fancy word when I was eight years old or something. So I, I, I liked that one because I thought it was something with gold. I didn't have a clue what they were singing about. Uh, it wasn't gold, I found out late, later on. But uh, And then I went back and I found the Alive album uh, before I got to the first album. And uh, I absolutely loved the Alive album, uh, especially some of the versions there, like Firehouse and Deuce and, you know, all the stuff there. It's just a brilliant album. And then I got the first album. And uh, I wasn't too impressed, I have to say. I quickly went back to uh, to Alive because I thought it was kind of a whimper, you know. 
uh, didn't like the sound of it. You, I understood that it, the, the the songs were great, but the sound just wasn't there for me. So I, I used Alive to cover, you know, listen to the earliest stuff much more than I, I ever listened to the first album. So for me, it wouldn't enter the... I mean, you have to respect the uh, the songs, some of the best stuff they ever wrote, but I never came over, you know, I, I could never accept the way it sounded. Uh, too weak. Um, I was always a hundred times better in my ears, so to my ears. And uh, so I'd say it's great songs, but also awful sounding album to me. Where does so it... nowhere they're near top five. No, nowhere near the top five for me. I, no? I'd say. Wow. No. Okay. Dan, um, sorry, Mark. I mean, the quality of the songs are there, but but I, I wouldn't play it. I I go for a live instead. <laughs> Fair you enough. You know, what's what's funny is uh, I had to smile when Daniel was talking about this because his experience of it absolutely mirrors mine. Because when I first got into Kiss. I had gotten Alive for Christmas. I think you guys heard that a thousand times. And then after that, I bought my first one, which was Lick It Up. And then I was pretty much in that phase of Kiss at that point, you know, more of the 80s stuff and mm. listening to that. And then ironically, just like Daniel, I went into the record store one day and came across this strange looking pinkish album called Killers. And at this time, it was an import in there. And I remember when I saw it in the back of it, it had that big import sticker. I was like, hmm. This is interesting, so I went and bought it. And of course, what was interesting to me, just like Daniel said, there's a lot of songs on there that I had no idea where they were from, like Gold Gin and stuff like that. And ironically, Daniel, the Gold Gin bit that you mentioned, there is actually a, a cassette that has that error actually printed yeah, on it. It does say Gold Gin on it. Okay. So you're not that far Typo. off. Maybe um, it was that one I had. I don't remember really. It was a cassette I had, yeah. Well, there maybe you go. Maybe it, it was, maybe it was mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah it was. But, so the interesting thing is that, much like Daniel as well, when I finally got that first record, I put it on and I thought the same thing. I was like, wow, this because I kind of understand at that time, I was into like the more crunchier guitars of like Animalize and Asylum. And I was into a lot of those kind of bands at the time that had those really heavy kind of martial, really modern sounding amp stuff going on. And then when I listened to this I was like, wow, what is this? Like, no distortion barely on the guitars. It sounded so small and wimpy. I was like, this sounds like some really bad Rolling Stones record or something. Like, to, to me, I wasn't, you know, at that time kind of, you know, educated about the different tones and what they were associated with. So at that time, I listened to it and put it away and then collected dust for a long time. Much later on, when I started getting into production and figuring out uh, stuff about, you know, different amps and finding out about, you know, early era Marshall amplifiers and how they sound and stuff like that, I started to get a taste for those kind of amps, like the JMP45s that Marshall would put out and stuff. And I was like, wow, these are interesting tones, and they became more associated with that kind of an era of Kiss sound. So once I started getting into that stuff, that record quickly became more important to me in the listening standpoint. And once I got through the whole mental block of that kind of sound... I realized how fantastic this album is as far as songwriting is. 
I mean, I, I got to give credit to to the producers because when you compare the songs to some of the earlier versions of it, they cleaned up quite a bit of the stuff. Like Strutter was much longer in the earlier versions. They kind of, you know, trimmed it, made it much more of a cohesively better listen than the earlier versions. And I, I came to love the record later on. And now, in, just like Ken, for me, it falls into number three. I mean, number one for me is always going to be mm. Rock and Roll Over. <laughs> number two is always going to be Asylum for me. And number three is this record. Now, my top five is cool. never as solid as that. It uh, is very fluid and changes probably on a minute-by-minute basis, depending <laughs> on what I'm thinking about. But, I mean, like both you and Daniel becoming a fan later on and going back and experiencing the album you know a decade after it had been released was one of those things that you know i remember a similar situation that i had listened to these songs that were included on a live first and in some ways those are the the song the versions that stick out in my mind even when thinking about this first album or the versions of the album that were on double platinum because i got both of those albums before i started going further back um in into the catalog i had rock and roll over again before i had this album but it it was very soon after that that i bought the cassette and to to this day i mean the the songs the production is fine for i i know that it's you know debated about it not capturing the live essence of the band at the time but for me the songs are king and these really are very, very good songs. So it, it is an album that comes in to my top five and stays there more often than not. Has it ever been my number one Kiss album? No. Like Mark, that'll always be rock and roll over. That is one thing that does not change on my top five ever. The other four spaces are all rotations for you know a large percentage of the rest of the album. So for me, I, I love it. And it was one of those albums that, again, I bought it soon after getting into the band. But, again, I don't know the exact sequence. But what always stood out to me was that because the makeup was different, I thought it might have been different members of the band when I didn't know anything whatsoever. So I bought it soon after becoming a fan. So that's where it fits into mine. That's where it fits into my my kind of my top five and you know i get a smile whenever i listen to it whenever you get those first notes coming through the speakers it's the beginning of the road it really is the start of uh something that's lasted to this day so let's talk about some of those reviews i I sent you all a a bunch of 1974 reviews Mm. except for the case of england and Daniel, I mean, do you have any local reviews that you ever read of that first album that were either contemporary to 1970 or 74, 75 when it would have been first released out there or later on um, to kind of compare with the ones that we've kind of just uh, cut and pasted into that little uh, sheet? I haven't really looked into it, so I haven't read a whole lot about the early albums in uh, Swedish newspapers. I can I imagine that they didn't get a lot of press uh, for those first three albums, at least. Uh, but once again, I just have to make something clear so that the other fans won't shoot me. I respect the album. You know, you know, I like all almost all of the songs. But I don't care for how it sounds. So I, I do like uh, Julian. I, I listen to the first or two, one song from the album, and I think, wow, this is great. And then I 
immediately go for a live and listen to the same song because it's much more it's much better sounding so i just have to make that clear yeah we'll, we'll talk about all those songs yeah. you know the song by song as we get to it but i think one of the things that really jumped out at me from these reviews as i tried to you know collect some um was rolling stones was very positive about yeah. the album and i just want to read the first uh, paragraph first time. yeah you know essentially really? And, and here's how it starts out. Kiss is an exciting Brooklyn-based band with an imaginative stage presentation and a tight new album. The music is all hard-edged. They call it Thunder Rock. And throughout their electrical storm, solid craftsmanship prevails. You know, what an opening line. I mean, for a, for a, a rag. Uh, Ken, I mean, what's your take on the early reviews? Is it that Kiss was hated? Or is there a little bit of uh, lack of truth in that from what you've read here? Well, yeah, well, some, <laughs> this is a good question. Um, yeah, Rolling Stone, uh, is, that, that was a very surprising one, of course, uh, who have dissed them since after that, probably. Um, uh, I think they they thought them as a, you know, a copy. Uh, later on, they thought them, thought them as a copy of Alice Cooper and, and so on. So, um, but, yeah, that was... I think that some of the early reviews, which were positive, were spot on. I mean, the positive reviews were spot on. They didn't know this band. It was just a new band. Uh, and then after they became more popular, uh, that's, that, you know, to certain people didn't like that. You know, the kids were liking them. So, oh, we cannot like that. So we have to, you know, we're going to rip them apart kind of thing. Um, but the negative comments at the beginning it's just one of those where they didn't, they just didn't get it. They didn't get what was Kiss was trying to do, or period. They just didn't understand the, you know, the music and thought them, you know, that they were just copying again. So I don't know. I think it's the the initial reviews of the first um were mostly probably correct, um, except for you know some people that just didn't give it a chance because obviously there's some great written songs on that album yeah and, and maybe some of these reviewers didn't realize that the band actually did wear makeup and do all the stuff that they did live just from the album cover that's they, true if they they listened like that like always paul says like they listen people listen with their eyes versus listen to it with their ears the people that maybe the if they didn't never saw the cover and they just listened to the music they thought oh okay you know this is this is not bad um, but then some people just can't get over the, the makeup and the superhero kind of stuff, you know. It's just not their, you know, their thing. Cup of tea? Cup of thing. Cup yep. of thing. Cup of tea. Which, which is odd for Rolling Stone because Rolling Stone's always been about hype. And Kiss was the hype of 1974 was the phrase that everyone liked using, especially as at the end of the year that a lot of the, the industry press thought that Kiss had been hyped up over the year with their appearances on TV, with the kissing contest, uh, with, with all the work that uh, was going in. But these earlier reviews, Mark, I mean, what did you get out of reading these? Was there anything that jumped out at you? Um. I was just like Ken, very surprised about the Rolling Stone one because considering how much Rolling Stone seems to dislike his, the fact that it started off on a kind of positive note with them was sort of surprising. I thought um, the interesting thing though is that I had a real bitch of a time trying to get the, that file open 
that you sent to me. For some reason, my phone really sucks with these kind of PDF files. So I had to do an alternate thing where I went and researched and tried to find articles from 74 on my own. Found a bunch of ones from Toronto area and stuff like that. And they were kind of mixed, actually. I mean, I found a couple of them that, you know, gave them a decent enough review. I remember one of them actually mentioned the fact that Canadian band Rush was going to be playing with them at some point as well in one of the mm. reviews that I read. Um, but, you know, I I never found in the ones that I found, at least, like a really glowing review of the first record. And But the thing is, I found a lot of, there were a lot of, you know, middle of the road ones that some of them said, you know, they had potential or, you know, they could be decent. One of them, I remember reading something about someone saying that they were puzzled by the makeup what the you know why they even had it and stuff like that i was like okay well mm-hmm. you know and, and it's interesting to you know, go back to that era because you know nowadays you know everything makes perfect sense with kiss you know you know and uh, and back just to think back then how it would have been for people to have seen it the first time is very interesting but uh like i said the main thing that i was puzzled by was the rolling stone one because for a for a magazine that hated them so much to the point of probably trying to keep them out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for as long as they did, you know, the fact that it started out on such a decent review was very surprising. Yeah, I think the the overall positive tone of these reviews that I found, and that's something that I would like people out there who are listening to the show today to share. I mean, dig up reviews from your local press or wherever you first, you know, had it, contemporary. 1974 they got to be from 74 or 75 when the album was released in your market you know it would be great to compare those with some of the ones that we put up here and i'll share obviously these ones i mean i've got one from regina in uh canada which was you know a pretty decent one again um mentioning the sorts of bands the rick derringers the mc5s that they Mm. they they can compare with it i mean one of these other ones here you know painted faces and sinister garb give kiss the appearance of being some type of gay glitter rock band featuring lyrics (laughs) and music of the same nature however this is not the way it is kiss is actually a super high-powered hard-driving boogie get your foot stomping band with a sound that can only be made better by the acrobatic stage act i mean that that I'm, I'm sorry that that would get me interested in any band you know if someone was talking about ghosts like that that you know it's uh, substance over you know style over substance but is not the case uh, you know don't fall for it you yeah, know that's great and going back to mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, Rolling Stone one they do call out one of the criticisms that we've had and many fans have had that uh, and here I quote an exceptional album Kiss could have been even better had the group incorporated more of their concert sound into the recording studio on stage they rain like a black sabbath like fury but here they sound more like a cross between deep purple and the doobie brothers you know so that that kind of stood out that it's been a criticism of the the early albums right through alive that kiss had had a awful time trying to capture that energy that they presented on stage in the studio so even from the first album that was being noted by critics um okay where's that one from that's uh that's from brave words and that is about which which first one because it's talking about the backstage interview at toronto's massey hall during their band's first tour opening for more established New York Dolls. 
This footage is an excerpt from a 36-year-old Canadian documentary on glitter rock. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, with uh, homosexual innuendos was the, the quote in that one, which I love. But but get, but getting back to the album. Innuendo? Yeah, well, go, go okay. find it. It's on YouTube. Go, go and watch it is what, what I say to that. Um, get it, getting back on track, before I get into some of the other questions that we want to address on this album, I do want to, first of all, because I'm going to have to multitask, ask you for your rankings of the album songs, including Kissing Time, from worst to best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will assign a point value. I'm totally stealing this methodology from Greg and Steve on the lipstick panel. So, guys, that's where it's coming from. But I want to see what this panel comes up with uh, using see if I could even use your methods. So uh, who's ready to go with your list? Let me bring up my spreadsheet here. Daniel. I can start. I can start. All right, well, Daniel. In last place, love theme, of course. Of course. Uh, or should I move on? And, uh, yeah, just, yeah, okay. yeah, just go straight down through your list, yeah, and we'll, yeah. we'll talk about each song afterwards. Thank you. Okay. Kissing time. Let me know. 100,000 years. Ooh. Nothing to lose. Firehouse. Cold gin. Deuce. Strata. Black diamond. Okay, go from cold gin again, because that was way too fast for me. Deuce. Strata. Black Diamond. All right, so Black Diamond is your favorite on this album. All right, Mark, you ready with yours? I sure am. All right. Number 10, Loving Kiss. Number 9 is Let Me Know. Number 8 is Kissing Time. Slow down. Okay, thank you. Number 7 is Firehouse. Yep. Number 6 is Nothing to Lose. Okay. Number 5 is Deuce. Ooh. Number four is Cold Gin. Okay. Number three is 100,000 Years. Mm-hmm. Number two is Strutter. And number one is Black Diamond. Nice. All right, Ken. Okay. Number 10 is Kissing Time. Number nine is Love Theme from Kiss. Yep. Number eight, Firehouse. Number seven, Let Me Know. Number six, Nothing to Lose. Number five, Cold Gin. Number four, 100,000 Years. Number three, Strutter. Number two, Deuce. And number one, Black Diamond. Wow. Okay, so... What I'm going to do is assign one point to the worst through ten points for the best, add them up and see what our overall panel rating is on that. And just to give you mine, because I'm going to turn the show over to you guys to talk about the uh, some of the songs while I do the math, or I try and do the math. Um, my list was Love Theme from Kiss, Kiss in Time, Let Me Know, Nothing to Lose, Cold Gin, Firehouse, Strutter, Black Diamond, up yours, all three of you. Happy guys, you're number one. Uh, 100,000 years. And, of course, number one, Deuce, if anyone expected me to say anything different. I knew and, Yeah, everyone knew. It's like telegraph through 223 episodes about what my, <laughs> what my favorite damn song is on this album. So let's talk about the singles. And 
Nothing to Lose was the first single released in late February 74, followed by Kissing Time with the radio uh, promotion, Kissing or the contest promotion in May 74, Strutter in July. Uh, two questions for you to address. And were these the right picks? And was this the right order of singles? Or which would you have chosen and what would have been the order? And I'm going to say this. We have no choice with Kiss in Time being a single because it's part of the 74 promo on that. Um, you can't be revisionist enough to get rid of it. Sorry. So, Ken, let's start with you on that one. Uh, you like the single picks or would you have done something different? Uh, I would have done something different. Um, I actually would have put... I would have released Strutter as the first single. I think it's the most uh, closest to maybe what radio was playing a little bit that the, you know, that time. So, you know, it has that uh, Rolling Stone feel. Okay, so I just thought well, it might it might get through. Um, so that would be my first one. Um, the second one would I guess if I just kissing time, kissing time's gonna would have to go second. Uh, um, and I, you know, I would have almost wanted to let you know try let me know as a single too. So I, I you know, I don't know. That's why I came up. <laughs> I don't know. When it ends with an I don't know, it's a little bit worrying. Daniel, <laughs> what do you think about the single picks? What would you have done uh, otherwise if you don't agree with them? Uh, I, I don't really understand how, the way they they chose singles, but I guess nothing to lose is quite a fun song you know a lot of trading off vocals and uh, some uh, some 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 things in the song that makes it interesting but but it's never been one of kiss's best i would ra- much rather go with uh, black diamond or strutter which to me are kind of radio friendly and uh but they would never let Peter have the first single, I guess. I mean, having having him doing the vocals on Black Diamond, is, that's just mm. impossible. But uh, one of those two, I think, would work uh, the best. Well, if you don't mind me just jumping in here. Yeah. Um, I think that um, the whole thing that's ironic about what you just said, Daniel, is that you said you wouldn't expect them to have Peter singing on the first single yet. He's pretty predominant. Nothing, nothing to lose. He sings pretty much a big section of the chorus, so he is oh. in there. I think the reason why they chose nothing to lose, though, is maybe to showcase the fact that they have so many singers in the band. I think maybe that was one of the reasonings behind it to kind of show that they weren't just a one-trick pony vocally. They had other people in there who could do stuff as well. Um, as far as the singles go, um, I was never really huge on nothing to lose being the first single. I think that. Strutter would have been maybe a better selection first because I think it's a bit more upbeat. Um, more, more. I think I get a more fun vibe off it. And I like Ken said too, I think it's important is that it sounds more like something that would have been on radio at that time as well. Um, like we just said, you can't do nothing about Kissing Time. It was there. It will always be there, mainly because of the fact I think they wanted to hype the contest just as much as they were trying to hype the album at that time. So, um they they had to use that song as the single regardless during that time period. Um, the the third single, I think I would have replaced 
you know, put, move Strider up to first, got rid of nothing to lose. And I think that I would have probably put in something like Cole Jinn as the third one, mainly because I think that they needed to put in something that showed a little bit more of a harder edge to their sound as well, that they wouldn't be kind of, not that they were, but not to be kind of cornered as like only that kind of style of music, maybe put something a little bit more with a harder guitar edge in there. You know, I think that Cole Jinn, um, while it's maybe a little long for a single at that time, I, I still think though that it's it's pretty catchy, and I think it would have appealed more to that kind of you know hard rock male audience that radio had at that time as well. So I, I think that though that would have been my only real change: keep those two, but just bump nothing to lose and put Cold Gin in instead. I I just like to say that what I didn't say is the reason I wouldn't have done nothing to lose is is the subject matter. I mean. It was just, it's like, it's like, what are you doing trying to get that by the, you know, the real, I guess it, it might've made it, but you know, the subject matter is, is not a good, good way. If anyone looks into it or checks the lyrics out or whatever it is, uh, it's going to say, oh shoot, we can't play this on AM radio. You know what though? Radio was notorious for, for being pretty stupid with stuff like that. I mean, look at the BBC. They they missed uh, Lou Reed's A Wild Side with the the head part there. They mm. totally let that slip, yes. and that was on radio for the longest time. They didn't even realize it. Like, I mean, how could you not realize it? It's pretty clear as day how when he sung it, right? But I think sometimes that radio people are kind of oblivious to it. I mean, don't forget, these are people who put the needle on, then take their headphones off half the time and talk with whoever's in the studio with them half the time, not even listen to what's being played, or they're going to the washroom real quick. True. So they could have missed a lot of this stuff. That's so funny. But, you know, the way I look at it is the original release of the album, you generally focus on the singles from whatever the first track on each side is. That, that's kind of always been the way I've assumed albums to have been structured and, mm -hmm. structured and singles to be picked. So it would have made sense, to my way of thinking, for Strutter to be the first single side one song one followed mm -hmm. by kiss in time because they decided to do the promo followed by deuce and i think nothing to lose would have been fine as a b-side it, it was for i think kiss in time anyway um i don't know why that that's the other thing that boggles the mind it had been the a-side for the first single had done it was nothing. On the back you know it, it had it had done some charting on you know some of the non-standard chart so you know all all of the singles did do something um just in the nether regions of radio um b-sides are, are, are more difficult nothing to lose it makes sense because you know walk this way walk on the wild side you know there was a lot of material out there in the early 70s that was skirting close to the line of what was acceptable and what was mm. not you know what innuendos you could get through without anyone noticing probably gave a lot of bands a great big chuckle of number one the record label agreed to release it as a single or chose it as a single and number two radio was playing it and people were singing along to it and they had no clue you know so that's great from a humor point of view so I, i'm very pedestrian in my picks i i would never have gone with an edited version of black diamond uh, a or b mm. um i would just be very kind of boring in a completely unrealistic revisionist uh, manner. So let's go back to those rankings. And I've done the math. I've crunched <laughs> the numbers. 
and this KISS FAQ panel's rankings from least favorite to most favorite song on the original KISS album is as follows. Drum roll. And I don't have any of the nice little audio things that the lipstick panel has. All right, that's hurting my head. Uh... (laughs) Least popular, obviously, love theme from Kiss. It's complete fluff. It is one of those songs that uh, I never understood why it's there. I know it was kind of early 70s, have an instrumental, but it's not even a good instrumental. There's not a lot there in terms of making it interesting. Daniel, love theme from Kiss. Can you say something good about it? or? I'm sorry, I don't think I can. <laughs> Uh, but from I remember, from what I remember, wasn't it a part of uh, an earlier song? Acrobat. Yeah. So uh, I guess yeah. somehow they had that song and they thought maybe we need some instrumental and they just took a part, a chunk of it, and put it on the album. Yeah. But it's uh, to me, it's one of the worst songs ever that Kiss ever did on the album. It's probably my number one, even worse than Rise to It and. Uh, no, right. What was the song Julian did? Like it was. Rise your heart. Yeah, yeah that. Was... No, read my body. <laughs> read, read, read my body. Yeah, the, uh, to me, this is the worst one ever, and uh, I just don't understand it. Yeah, as a, as part of Acrobat, I think it's fine as a onstage jam while someone uses the bathroom. Um, other otherwise, it's completely pointless but again i wasn't there in 1974 so i don't have the kind of outlook to appreciate it in its original context and but, but if you see what ace frailer did uh, you know like four years later on with, uh, with with the fractured mirror i mean they could have done something interesting instrumentally but ah. uh, or, I think or, mainly... or frankenstein come on i mean there were yeah. good instrumentals back there mark oh, yeah yeah i mean they're, they're, don't forget too from what I remember, this was mainly the producer's idea when they said that, you know, love themes are very big at this time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that they thought that it might be a good idea for Kiss to have one of them as well. They were kind of kind of trying to ride the wave of popularity of popular things that were going on. And they probably just got them to hack up a few pieces and made a very quick instrumental out of it. Because like we said before, it was part of an actual other song that they had, but they just dissected that part out of it. Being a guitar player... Um, I can maybe just appreciate the kind of cool harmonized guitar part that they play, but other than that, there's nothing really that sticks no. sticks out of it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure Daniel can agree with that. It's kind of cool harmonized guitar line there, but other than that, there's because I think that they didn't go in with it thinking that that was going to be an actual instrumental. That's why it's so weak. If they would have went in and said we're going to write an instrumental yeah. for this record, it would have turned out much better, I think. Yeah. Can. Say something nice about love theme. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll tell you something nice about love theme is uh, when Gene Simmons did it on his and oh. his band did it. I thought it was kind of cool. Actually, it kind of it kind of worked. It was kind of you know it was all right. It it sounded pretty good actually live, which was very surprising to me actually. The response was uh, good too. Yeah, the response and people thought, wow, this is you know cool. Um, I took it more like when when I heard it, I took it more like a joke. I mean, I was out there <laughs> laughing. I was out well, there I, laughing. I, I didn't oh, take I didn't take it as a joke seeing yeah. it on uh, in YouTube or whatever, but I thought it was kind of cool seeing them play live. I thought oh, this is yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Um, I, I laughed through it. Yeah. Yeah. So otherwise, but I think you know definitely yeah they were riding the trend of love you know love themes and 
all that, you know, themes from movies, kind of stuff like that um, at the time. But I think they should really just, you know, did the whole acrobat song. That's that's what they should have done instead of just taking that little piece out of it, uh, which is like the I think the beginning part of the uh, acrobat. Um, Yeah, they should have replaced it. I mean, it's it's otherwise it's kind of a waste uh, of they they could have put something else on there, one of their other demos. Yeah, so so the guys with the knowledge the guys with the knowledge said, well, let's do a love theme and then let's do this kiss and time song. What a great idea. So actually, if the band had all the good ideas and the other people almost, they damaged the record, I'd I'd say, in some ways. Like it usually is in the music business. Like it usually is. My my problem with Love Theme is, yeah, you have the context that it was originally part of Acrobat, and then you would have had nothing to lose about Backdoors, and then you would have had Much Too Young. And maybe that would have just been a little bit too much for one album to actually be more dangerous band. So, more of a dangerous band. <laughs> yeah, so you just have that instrumental kind of kind of stuff, but it's so simplistic. Yes, there's nice harmonizing, but when I first picked up a guitar, it took me about five minutes to figure that most of that song out. It really isn't that difficult individual parts now mm-hmm. uh, yeah it gets a little bit more complex than that and that's a very oversimplified way of just being able to play the notes and play along to it uh is, is nothing it wasn't a frankenstein is my point that there were some fantastic mm-hmm. instrumentals being made back then that told a story all on their own this was more like an interlude something just thrown on so that the album wasn't an eight song album well when you think about what they left off and you really get into maybe you know eight song albums that were fine in the early 70s as well so uh whatever let's move on kiss in time second least favorite album which by the way scored five uh seven points yeah, love theme had five points when we added up all the rankings kiss in time i'm not surprised it's down there just because it's an add-on to the album that they didn't want on the album it had a purpose in terms of its promotion what i find most interesting about kiss in time is how you've got the sludgy production sound already appearing while they're still recording in new york so the 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 statement that hotter than hell sounded the way it did because they changed studios is completely invalid when Kiss in Time already has a sound closer to Hotter Than Hell than it does to the original Kiss album. So that that's all I have to say on that. It's a it's a fun freaking dancey track. I don't have any problem with it. It's a good song. It's fun. It's you know very dated. It, it's not a song that's done well. Uh, Mark, your thoughts on Kiss um, in Time? Yeah, I mean, for me, it didn't rank at the bottom. In fact, it didn't rank second bottom. It was third. It was like number eight for me. Mainly because I thought that in comparison to the original, I thought it was much, much better. I mean, I thought it was more rock and it had a bit more uh, groove to it. Um, I also like the fact that, you know, again, we had other people singing in it. You know, Peter was in there, Gene was in there, Paul's in there. So I think that was another thing that made it a bit more uh, appealing to me because I like it when they have the three of them singing. Uh but but again, it's interesting that you brought of, up. Of that course, point. you would, as a musician who records everything on him on his own. Of course, you're going to appreciate a song that actually has other band members carrying the load. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well placed, touche. Uh, I got to say though that I find that very interesting and comment that you made about the uh, production though of it because yeah, it does sound a little out of place obviously from the sound of the rest of the record um 
And it's very interesting because it almost it, it it does make it seem that they put a lot more attention to detail on the original album tracks. Obviously, they've had more time with it. Probably, I almost sounds like to me that this was just go into the studio, throw up some mics, record it, and let's get it out there quickly to help promote this contest. Because I think if they would have put as much focus on the sound of the drums and the guitars and everything, it could have sound as decent as the first record did. But you know. I as a as a producer guy, I don't want to believe that they purposefully tried to make it sound shittier. I just don't want to believe that, you know. I I don't want to believe that they went in and said, "Let's make this sound more like ass compared to the rest of the album." Um, maybe they did try to go for something heavier in tone. Maybe they had you know amps that they were using at the time because it was such a quick job that they didn't want to maybe use that they didn't use in the first record. There's so many little variables that could have been you know, involved with this. But, you know, I think you're right. It, the, the sound is vastly different from the rest of the record. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the things that I think is a strike to the song as well. Yeah, well, it was done fast. It was done on a gap in touring, you know, just go in and record yeah. it. Instruments, you know, writing it in the studio, record it, mix it, get it out. So, I mean, yeah, it was rushed, without a doubt. Ken, uh, anything positive or what are your observations on Kissing Time? Yeah, I mean, it's an okay song. They did it well. They performed it well. It's better than the original. But uh, I'll just say that, you know, they didn't need to do it. I know they did it for as like a marketing idea of you know Neil Bogart's idea. Um, but they didn't need to do it. They could have just done something else, uh, put another great song on there and release it as a as a single. There, there are other songs on there that could have been released, like I said. Um, so... It's it's just a to me it's not a great it wasn't a great idea um, it's okay song fine but I, I wouldn't have put it on there never on what their pants in 2006 when they performed it live Daniel yeah just uh, to, to me it's just another one of the first really poor ideas that Kiss had uh, and it's almost silly you know here's a song with the word Kiss in it oh that suits us. <laughs> And then a few years later on, they did the same thing. Then She Kissed Me, which is by far the Mm. worst song on that album. So they repeatedly repeatedly do the same mistakes, and that bugs me a lot. It's the same thing with putting flags on everything. Well, here's Kiss My Ass Less. You know the tribute album from 94. Let's put different flags on it and sell. Uh, And then they did the same thing for, uh, you know, that monster book, the big one. Yeah. Flags, what a great idea. It's like they they don't learn from their mistakes sometimes, and that really bugs me. And this is the first case when they have one of these totally silly ideas, kissing time. Well, kiss. At least they could have uh, they could have picked a good song with a kiss in it. I mean, there are loads. You could pick anything from Elvis, like Kiss Me Quick, or uh, you know, one of those. It could have been kind of cool, but I still think the idea is so silly. It's like they're 10 years old when they get the idea. No. So simple. What was that Bob Welch song? Was that Kiss You All Over or something? I don't remember. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was out around the time. But, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So, Daniel, mm-hmm. maybe that's the answer to your observation about Kiss. Let's move on to the ne- uh, number three. <laughs> three from bottom on our list is Let Me Know, which only scored 12 points. 
which is really weird because come on the the song Sunday Driver is really important in terms of its placement in history um but Paul's song sung by Gene didn't resonate well I mean this was that's exactly where it placed for me in my list uh, just compared to the rest of the material on the album I think it is not as strong but it's still a very good song and you know if they were to pull that out live I'd be happy I'd be amazed and I'd thoroughly enjoy it uh, Ken let me know yeah I mean that was a seven on mine um, though like you said it's it's lower on the list but it's, it's still it's still a real good song um, and I particularly liked that part. Always like the part where they, they the acapella part, in the uh, where they say "Let me know" when they stretch it out. You know, all the instruments stop and they're just singing. I thought, oh, that's pretty pretty cool. That's not bad. So it's a good song. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. It just it can't stand up to. Some, um, that's the that's the problem there. Hmm. I can't hear you. Oh, don't you, you the mic. You, it can't stand up to what you dropped out there. Oh, you, it can't stand up to the uh, the the other material ahead of it. You know, the the better material. That's that's the one thing. It's it, good song, but there's so much other better material on there. That's why it's has to fall where it where it falls. Yep, voice of reason as ever, Daniel. Well, I just have to second that. It's it's exactly what I thought. It's. Uh, uh, third, my third pick from the bottom as well, but it's much better than the two we previously mentioned. But it's nowhere near the rest of the album. So it's a decent song, good song, but nothing special. Yep, Mark. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna third that too because I think that's not nothing too special. It just seems like a pretty basic, rudimentary kind of 12-bar kind of song. Um, you know, uh, the main point of it is what Ken brought up is that. Compared to the other songs on the record, this is probably the weakest song on there, right? Of the of their of their original songs, right? So, um, yeah, I don't think that there's any other reason why it fell to that position than that. All right, in sixth place we had a tie, so we can handle these songs at the same time. Both scored 19 points. Nothing to lose and Firehouse. Now, for me, Firehouse just plods. And I don't know whether it's because I'm tired mm. of hearing it. It's been just, you know, whether whether I've just been all fired out. Um, yeah, so I, it's not surprising it's in the bottom half. Same with Nothing to Lose. Um, I'd actually put Nothing to Lose ahead of Firehouse to break that tie. But, uh, you know, there we go. Mark, your take on those ones. Well, I, I agree with you about the plotting thing. The, the version of it on this record is very slow very uninspired sounding and i think also too i i think that it's just one of those songs that i'm just tired of hearing i mean it's been played probably on almost every single tour they've done i i think you know so i mean it's i think i've just gotten burnt out on it uh not so much with nothing to lose but i mean that that's also another one of them as well which is an interesting comment though when you think about it because a lot of the songs off this record have been played throughout all of their tours and to say that we're burnt out on those two you know says how much we probably think the other songs are really good because we're probably not as burnt out on them i mean i'm totally not burnt out on black diamond i can hear that a hundred thousand times and not get sick of it so i guess it just goes to show how well it is written as a song and how much we've been you know 
you know, how many times have you actually heard it throughout these 40 years, you know? Yeah, but birds of a feather, as they say, you know, um, if you ask any KISS fan which song they're most burned out about, it probably varies because I, I know there are people who mm-hmm. said that they never want to hear Black Diamond again. I, I can't fathom it, but uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Taste, taste, opinions vary. Daniel, nothing to lose in Firehouse. Well, um, now we move on, on into classic material. I know learning how to play guitar. These songs that are, we are going to mention are are all in, you know, like the first 20 songs I ever learned, you know, because they're pretty easy to play and they're all good songs. But I'd say uh, after first hearing Firehouse on Alive 1, Alive, uh, I was shocked hearing it on this album because the difference is so vast, you know, there's a huge difference. And uh, the version on Alive, I'll never get tired of that one. That, that was actually the first song that stood out on me to me when I listened to Alive. I thought it was just great. So I was disappointed hearing it on this album. And uh, But both those songs are really good. But the other ones are a bit better. Ken? Yeah, well, I agree. The, the, the song is too slow. Um, it's a to me. It's a, a producer should have brought that up and said, "Hey, how about a you know tempo change here and it's just you know bring it up a little bit." Because uh, it it makes it sound so much better. Um, you know, just like God of Thunder, to me was so much better alive on Alive Two. Uh, the same one better on uh, Alive. Um, so you know. While it's a good song, that's one of the songs I did, though, I used to crank up, <laughs> for, again, for the bass, booming bass. But it's it did need to uh, pick up speed. I don't know if they kept it slow, plodding, because of the Black Sabbath or whatever. Um, I, I just think it could have been, it should have been uh, uh, at a, you know, upbeat, you know, a, a faster tempo. Nice. I mean, the Bell Sound Studio is even more plotting. So they did bring it up a little bit, but they probably should have brought it up a little bit more. Next week, we move on to, you know, we're into the top half. And on 25 points is Cold Gin, which is another one of the songs that I am most burned out by. Um, I don't even want Ace to do that song, Uh, you know. So, so much with that and i want to go back to the rolling stone review of the first album and their comments on this song though frelly is a integral component of the stage show here is guitar is used sparingly particularly on cold gin where the solo could have propelled the tune to a higher plateau and that's something i kind of agree with that it's just one of those songs on the album that feels like it could have been better and people are going to go, what, you're saying Cold Gin could have been better? Yeah, it's a great song. It's a classic. It's in the, the core of the catalog for a reason. I'm not saying it's not a great song, a good song, a fun song, uh, you know, whatever. I'm just personally, it doesn't do much for me these days, as good as it is. And maybe it could have been even better uh, with exactly what Rolling Stone recommended. But uh, there you go, Mark, you're agreeing with me. Thank you. I'm not going yes. <laughs> to get slaughtered on my own for that. No, I, and I agree with that. I mean, I think that... Cold Gin, while it's a great song, it has some memorable uh, riffs and hooks in it. 
Um, the fact that it doesn't have a guitar solo on it is a bit of a head scratcher, especially since Ace wrote it. So, I mean, why wouldn't he have put in a guitar solo section for himself in there? You know, I, I think that that's probably the one element of it that's that it's missing. If they would have put that in to it, you know, I think it would have made it that much of a stronger song. Nice. Daniel? Well, when you listen to interviews uh, lately, Ace has, has said that Gene was the one coming up with, uh, you know, the instrumental part, you know, the da 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 rap da 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 Yeah. Uh, uh, so to me, it almost seems like Ace had a great riff and he didn't know what to do with it. And much like uh, Rock Bottom, where he wrote, from what I remember, the intro and then Paul did the rest of the song. So they kind of Frankenstein, you know, Ace Frehley's uh, riff with uh, Gene's uh, part. And uh, to me, it's a great, I love that riff. And I also think the lyrics kind of tells Ace's story uh, so so well. I mean, it's just pure Ace. So uh, mm-hmm. looking back on it, and you can, I mean, it's like his signature song, mostly because of the cool riff and the lyrics, which sounds like very, very self, what do you say, biographic, you know, like it's telling his own story. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the song for that. Excellent. Ken? Yeah, I mean, we don't know. I I don't think I've ever heard the original demo of Cold Gin. Is there one out there? I I don't know. Um, But uh, it would have been interesting to hear what it was before Gene says, hey, why don't you... Oh, before the 73 demo? Even older than that? Because it was on the March 73 recording, so... You know, middle part, you know, um, was inserted. Uh, It would have been interesting to hear what, what it was. Um, but uh, it has a little bit of soloing if you think about it. In that little part, you know, he, he does does do a little bit. It's not a real solo. It's just kind of a little riffing in the you know in in between those riffs. Um, but it, yeah, it works well. It's a good song. Again, yeah, a lot of us are probably somewhat burned out on it because it has we've heard it so many times. But I wouldn't mind hearing it live if they did it live this tour i wouldn't i wouldn't be mad about it it would be it'd be all right yep if it's part of the 25 song set i'll be (laughs) yeah all right let's move on to the fourth most popular song on the album from this panel on 28 points 100,000 years and i love i've always loved 100,000 years it was my number two pick um i just love how it kind of it's like space trucking. It's just bouncing along. Mm-hmm. I love the bass riff. When I got my bass, first thing I did, bass tabs, 100,000 years. Um, it, it, it's just to this day, I, I love how they did cut out that fourth verse, uh, appropriately so, uh, mm-hmm. from, from the demo that you can hear on the Kiss Box. But uh, I love it. I love it live. I never get tired of hearing it. The only part I get tired of hearing is the extended rap, uh, which now does nothing for me. But the song itself, it's just a great bit of space rock, uh, which, you know, it's one of those songs. It doesn't mean a thing. It just sounds good. It's fun. And I can rock and roll all night to it. There you go. Ken, 100,000 years. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song. I, I liked it the first time I heard it. Um, with the you know the bass you know intro 
coming in and then kicking in. It's like, oh, looks on this pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, and it's just a great written song by Paul. I mean, well done. The whole thing is good. Um, nothing bad to say about it, you know. Except uh, if they do that one live, I don't need the the full extended long. You know, you keep it down to what the song is. Just just play it as it is. Yeah, no more rock and roll preacher. Uh, Daniel, hundred thousand years. Well, uh, actually, it's it's one of the, those songs that you feel this is really a good song, but but I don't really like it, and you can't put your finger on what it is. So I can see that it's a good song, but it it's not one of my favorites. Uh, so I actually have this one in number. I think seven or something uh, is number six on, on the album. Uh, never been a big fan of it, even though I appreciate it and I, I understand why people like it, but it was never one of my favorites. Yeah, you had that at number seven. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, sorry. We'll let, the, we'll let the fans deal with you on their own. Mark? Um, I, I really like this song. I think that compared to the rest of the record, I think this is one of the songs that um, is actually quite different especially in the way they wrote the guitars out i think it's quite more complex i think it's probably more thought out i think compared to the rest of them it almost seems like they were trying to go for something a little bit more dare i say the word progressive a little bit in this compared to some of their other material on the record and uh, i think that to them it was kind of looked at as an experiment like let's put just one song like this on there and see how it reacts and if people really dig it then maybe they might explore that kind of territory a little bit further but i i think it's a i think it's a good song i i think it has some of paul's best vocals that he's done on record i really love the way he sings this song and uh I love the guitar interplay between it between paul and ace how they do different vastly different things on guitar while they're playing and the uh, on Alive, I think it really came alive. I mean, sure, we were all burnt out on the drum solo and all this stuff. But back when it when I first heard it, I mean, that was the way I enjoyed to hear it. Was that that big drum solo, the big you know part with Paul on it? I mean, you know, back when I was younger and I heard this the first couple of times, to me it was just like unbelievable this performance, you know. But like with everything, if you hear it too much, you know, too much of a good thing is not good whether it's coffee or drugs or women or whatever so or a hundred thousand years so there you go your mic is off i can't hear you i'm trying to keep all this background noise out of it and i'm forgetting so in second place we've got a tie um Deuce and Strutter on 33 points each, which is hardly surprising. You know, these are kind of symbiotic twins. They've been the demos that have been released throughout history. They were the original Side A and Side B songs, so it all ties nicely together, having those tied in, uh, you know, second position. Deuce, again is my all-time favorite song so i'm happy with that strutter i did i had this ranked the lowest this is my fourth favorite song on the album but it's a perfect opening track for kiss to introduce the band to the world deuce wouldn't have done as well as the introduction track it's you know it's got swing it's got swagger it's upbeat it's got a great vocal it's got great instrumentation production values on that one are absolutely perfect for the material it was pruned down a little bit from the demo version so 
great songs the pair of them can't say anything bad whatsoever i will never be bored hearing either of these songs live or if they pop up on oh, i don't do playlists if they help up on my kind of randomized usb stick in the car just love them to pieces ken yes uh deuce definitely and what you said strutter right yeah so both those great songs um though i would have put you know Deuce, I would have put Deuce as the number one song to kick off the album. Um, I think it's a better representation of what Kiss is. Uh, so I think that's what you want to do with with the very first song of the album. And plus, you want to you know kick the person in the in the in the balls on your, on your coming out the gate. So I, I think it's I think it's a it would have been better suited as the uh lead off song on the album it's it's again so it's, it's one of my favorites too uh so you know it doesn't fall at the top but it's it's right there nice mark um for me these two songs are like when i think of this record i think of these two songs these are like the staple like you know big pieces of the album that i that i identify with mm-hmm. with this record um I love both of them. I think that they're uh, songs that the original lineup do very well. And I venture to say that it's probably one of the two songs that I think the original lineup play better than some of the other incarnations of this band do. I think when when those four original guys play these two particular songs, they sound the best, I think. Probably because I think it has a lot to do with Peter's drumming style. I think it was custom made for these songs, and uh, they they sound great. I mean, he he plays them really good. Even when they did the that tour with the symphony orchestra, I thought that when they played Strutter, then he really had a great performance of that song. I thought he played it excellent. So um, yeah, Strutter is a great song. I mean, the only thing that I'd, I'm going to say about Strutter, and this is like a really minute nitpick, is I would have wished that he would have started it the same way he did, did on Alive, with the two times around the toms at the beginning instead of the one on the studio version. I don't know, it's really minor, but I just kind of like it better that way. Talking about the symphony, I'll say this, the best version of Strutter I ever heard was Peter at the Cutting Room in 2017 when he had the brass arranged the way he wanted rather than the symphony version just absolutely to this day sends shivers up my spine but there you go uh Hmm. daniel strutter and deuce two great songs but uh they should have been number one and two on the record to me much like they did on the live it's just a perfect one-two punch uh both are great songs but really, Julian, do you rather listen to Deuce from this record than the one on Alive 1? No. I mean, the one on Alive, on Alive is far superior to this one, in my opinion. Wouldn't you agree? I think on Alive is far superior, really. Uh, yeah, but, but it's you know, no way near. Uh, to me, somehow, they, they didn't manage to, to capture Deuce on this record the way I wanted it to sound. And it was just such a big improvement on Alive, and, and that version kills. And even the one on Alive 3 is one of the best I've heard if you like that kind of drumming. And um, this was really a song that was made to be played live. And uh, I always listen to the live versions of this song. It's something with Deuce Live that's just magic. 
So uh, those two th- songs are, I guess, two of the best songs they ever did. Yeah, what I think is kind of funny is, you know, I always go on about Deuce being my favorite song, my favorite song, my favorite song. I love it. You never get bored of it. Yet I prefer Paul Stanley as a singer, as a songwriter, and everything else. But my favorite song is a Gene song, sung by Gene. Weird. There you go, Kiss fans. We make no sense. Um, number one song, the Kiss FAQ panel's favorite song off the Kiss album is not surprising because we haven't mentioned it yet. Black Diamond, resoundingly, on 38 points. Uh, the three of you all had it ranked as your favorite song, and I had it number three, so I'm the odd man out there. Uh, I do like it. It, it. It's it's a great song. It's been done well by all of Kiss's drummers. Um, most importantly, they, you know, Eric does a fantastic job with it these days. I would like to hear, you were talking, I think, about hearing the Cold Gin demo predating, you know, Gene's mm-hmm. input into it. Well, I would love to hear you know, the full-on Paul Stanley demo of this uh, before, because in in, the March 73 demo, it was given over to Peter to sing primarily. So that would be my one thing. It's it's a great song. Um, I'm just going to have to defer to you all and say why it's the best song (laughs) on the album, because I did not pick it as that. So, uh, Ken, tell us why. Well... I mean, I've always loved this song. Uh, first time I heard it, um, way it starts off, you know, it, it, first time hearing it, you know, it starts off the little mellow beginning, of, uh, you know, one, two, three, hit it, you know, the, it, it kicks in, uh, and then it's like, okay, whoa, you know, hey, this is going, and uh, it's just the riff. I mean, I think that the it's just a fantastic riff in Black Diamond. Um, the same way I like a riff, like for instance, in Under the Rose, um, same kind of thing. Just a, a very cool riff uh, throughout the song, um, and 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 performance of everybody, including uh, you know Peter Chris. I mean, just just fantastic. One of his best vocals uh, of his, you know, the ones he's he's sung. I mean, it's just great, and especially live. Uh, it, this really kills life so it's another one that you know it's meant to be live kind of like what daniel said with the uh, deuce um but it's just i i just always love it i never can get i never get tired of it um just just a cool thing i just you know i didn't just didn't like the droning out at the end of on the album version the, the droning out uh the slow down that's the only thing that kind of turns me off about that but otherwise it's just a great song Excellent. Daniel? Well, it's hard to add anything to that. I I totally agree with what Ken said. Uh, one thing I would like to add is that I think this is a song that can be appreciated by non-KISS fans pretty easily because the way it has been constructed, uh, where you have, you have a thought-out uh, beginning, a uh, cool riff, uh, and if you edit out the final part, you know, the, 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 the slow ending of the song, this was uh, this is one of their best ones. And if you look at um, when non-KISS fans rate KISS songs, this is actually one of the ones that always end up in the highest spots. This is a song that is, uh, you know, appreciated by, the, by other, um, other persons than KISS fans. And I totally understand why. It's just a brilliant, brilliant piece. 
Nice. Mark, you have the final word on the album. Well, I mean, I think that this song is probably one of the best uh, written, the best produced. I think Kerner and Weiss did a great job with this. I mean, I love the sound of the guitars at the beginning of this. I mean, I'm not, I think it's a double electric guitar, clean guitar tone mixed in with a little bit of an acoustic guitar. It almost sounds like a 12 string guitar to me, which, which I really love the sound of it. And, uh, I think the way Paul sings the top of it is very haunting and very good mood to it. And it definitely suits that feel. And, uh, I think Peter's voice is fantastic in this. He has such a proper voice for this. I think it was one of the best ideas that Eddie Kramer came up with for them to say, you know what, let's get Peter to sing this. Uh, I think it was a, the right idea. And uh, just overall, the, I think the sound of this song is very good. I mean, I even like the way they uh, did the harmony vocals in there, the whoo, black diamond. The, the, those are mixed really well. Very nice. Jeez, uh, I mean, th- there's there's very little in this that I that I don't like. I mean, again, the, the drone at the end, you know, they probably overdid it a little bit too long with that. They could have faded that out considerably earlier than they did on the record. But uh, other than that, I, I think that it's just probably an example of when a good song meets a good producer and the ideas meld together perfectly to come up with a very strong song yeah and we have a lot more that we could discuss about this album but we do have time limitations today uh for a couple of us so we'll have to do a part two and address some of the other things one of the things i do want people to go and do is look at their various versions of this album i mean i've looked at the mb9001 original pressing the acetate the original cassette the eight track the 7001 reissue and the reissue cassette all have freaking different track sequences yeah, so that's that true that's something fun to go back and look at and that's not even mentioning you know the live version of nothing to lose getting checked that doesn't count mm-hmm. um every single one of those formats has a different track order which is the best track order is something that we can talk about later on down the road but one thing i do want to ask people out there is the December the 26th, 1973 track order is the version that appears on the very first piece of Kiss vinyl. That is the original. I want to know, that's, that sheet on the test pressing said that it had been resequenced. Does anyone out there know what the original track order was before the 9001 vinyl version was uh, solidified on December the 26th, 1973? I want to know. And do you have documentation to back it up? But today we're going to have to leave it there. Um, we thank you for listening to this episode. Chime in. What are you, what ranking do you have for the songs on this album? And what do you think about the reviews? Do you have reviews from your area of the world or city or state or wherever from 1974 that you can share with other fans? We'd love to see them on Facebook. Post them on, on your, your Facebooks and with other people and tag us. And, uh, you know, everything that we've kind of analyzed this album, The First Kiss, let's hear your thoughts on it. It was the start of the road. We're going to be talking about Kiss albums a lot more this year as the band's tour progresses. So for now, we'll have to do a part two and we'll be back. So for now, from Ken, from Daniel, from Mark and myself, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. 
Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.